Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast, and thank you for joining with us to worship and learn more about God. We are so excited to have you be a part of this week's service. For more podcasts and services from past weeks, or to join us online on Sunday mornings, check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, enjoy the message. Merry Christmas. Day after Christmas, I noticed that um, nobody came and and helped us tear down the trees uh, last night. So they're still up. Sorry about that. Um, It's your fault. Um, But, uh, you know, we we just celebrated Christmas. And how many of you have that gift opener? Like, I have uh, a daughter, my oldest one. You saw her up here leading worship today. Proud daddy moment. Like, just did a really good job. You can clap. It's fine. She did. Stop. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. She, so she's like, you know, when she's starting to open packages as, as she was younger, she would open the package. She was just such a great gift getter, like a receiver. And she would open it up and it would just be like, oh, thank you. This is my favorite. What is it? You know, and she was just, she was just so gracious and she was just so good and it just everything you open. Then, you know, a couple kids later, I don't know I'm going to say his name because I don't want to embarrass him. But if you, if you know our family, you probably figure it out. But he gets a, a gift. I stayed up Christmas Eve. Any parents had a late night on Christmas Eve putting something together? Right, I stayed up. We got this, this big wheel, this trike big wheel. I'm putting it together, and I'm you know, excited. Oh, he's going to love this. We lived on a hill. I'm like, oh, my gosh. He's going to flip his lid, right? We're going to take it out of the box. We're going to put it together so he can get right on it. Right now, what do we do? How do you wrap a trike big wheel thing? So we took a blanket, you know, kind of draped it over the top. And Christmas morning, they're opening their gifts. And I'm like, oh, it's his turn. It's his turn. Open your gift. And he goes over and, yeah, just take the blanket off. Grabs the blanket, just deadpan, drops it. He's like three, right? This is the time where this is really their first Christmas. Like, I don't know about if you got young parents or those who are expecting kids. Number one and number two, don't buy anything (laughs) for them. They're going to have aunts, uncles, grandparents. Everybody's going to buy stuff for them. Save your money. Then after Christmas, if they need anything, then you can get them what they need. But, but Christmas number three, that's the one. That's the one where it's like, oh, they're going to be fun. And so nothing, emotionless, right? He would rather have opened, ripped up and opened the paper. He loved his truck. He loved his big wheel. But it wasn't how he expected to receive it, right? So it was just a little Eeyore reaction, you know? Like, so which, which, uh, which are you? How are you at receiving gifts? How are you at receiving gifts that, that you don't know what to expect? You didn't know how they were going to be given, right? It wasn't what he expected. Maybe you've received a gift and it wasn't what you expected. It doesn't end up looking like the way you thought it would. What do you do in those moments? See, Jesus, he stepped in history. He stepped on the scene and we, we just celebrated his coming, right? Just yesterday was Christmas. 
And some, you're going to celebrate Christmas with family today. In the coming days, you still got celebrations. And while I, I will keep you as long as possible to hold you up, up from that, that Christmas dinner, right? I want to get you on to your celebrations that you're still going to have today. I want you to encounter Jesus today. I want you to encounter the, the real, the authentic Jesus. Maybe not, not the one you expected, or maybe he doesn't look like the way you thought he would, but he's real, right? And he's knowable. He has a plan for your life, right? And he's madly in love with you. And he offers freedom, and he offers life, and he offers peace. Now, peace, <laughs> that's a tricky one. And by that, I mean, it's truly that gift that Jesus embodies, that he offers to us. In fact, it's the fruit of the Spirit. And if you're not familiar with what the fruit of the Spirit is, it's, it means it's part of the essence of who he is. It's what he does. He is. Jesus is peace. So I want us to take just a few moments, if you'll humor me, right, and close your eyes and just take a few moments in the bustle of the season. We'll just let that peace rest. We'll invite the Holy Spirit to, to speak. God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the peace that you give. For, for some of us, this is the first quiet moment we've had in a couple weeks with all the busyness of the season. God, we invite you today to do what only you can do and speak only the way that you can speak. Holy Spirit, I just picture you taking uh, the words and adding to them and, and filtering them out and throwing my words to the side and, and penetrating to the heart and to the, to the mind of those who are listening today. God, that you would speak, that you truly would speak, and that you would penetrate to their heart and mind what you have to say to them today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jesus brings peace, but is he the peace that we expect? Right? Is it going to look like the peace we thought it would look like? Because I'll say this, I thought peace would be that they wouldn't, they wouldn't pass away, they wouldn't die. Right? I thought peace would be that I wouldn't lose that job. I thought peace would be that that relationship would, would work out. Right? And for you, insert whatever that is. I thought peace would look like this. And how do you find peace in a less than peaceful situation? Right? How do you find peace in chaos? Jesus was born into chaos. He's born into confusion. If you look what Luke does as he writes uh, that, that chapter two, like that, that famous Christmas passage, right? Caesar Augustus, he compares, he contrasts Caesar Augustus with, with Jesus. And it was one, like looking at it this year uh, with this theologian, this is the first time I, I saw this. Historically, we know this, and Luke would, would, uh, uh, would have known it too. This was a, a birthday celebration where Caesar Augustus was seen. He's seen as the savior of the empire, right? He's seen as the bringer of peace, he was hailed by the powerful and the elites as a god. Hey, I just saw you. Love you guys. He born into an opulent palace. Right? This, this is Caesar Augustus. And Luke is contrasting this here. But Jesus doesn't come. He doesn't come to a palace. He, he was born in a stable, lying in a feeding trough. 
He isn't heralded by the powerful and by the elites. He'd be heralded by angels to the lowly shepherds. They're the ones that are going to first hear of Jesus coming. First hear of his birth. So he's contrasting this Caesar Augustus and this Jesus to let you know how Jesus would come and he comes in a way that we don't expect. Jesus is a gift that came in the way that no one expected. It didn't look like anybody thought it should look like. But here he is. And I'm so intrigued by the perspective of, of Joseph, right? He doesn't have a whole lot of speaking parts. If you wanted a big part in the Christmas play, like if you got the star or the donkey, like you got a bigger role. It got, it got way bigger billing. Like Joseph doesn't get much speaking parts. But what chaos for Joseph. We read in Matthew that Joseph and Mary are betrothed, right? They're legally pledged to be married. This is a binding agreement, but it's, it's, they're not married yet. So there you in, it enters the chaos. Joseph finds out that Mary's with child. So we find out here in the text that Joseph is a pretty good dude. He must be extremely kind or he's really in love with Mary. It, and the text actually does tell us that he was a just man. But Mary, being pregnant, meant that she's, she's an adulteress. Like there's no other way around it. She's married. She's, she's pregnant. We're not married. It wasn't me. A little bit of chaos for Joseph right now. She had broken their, their pledge and was unfaithful. And so Mosaic law would actually require that, that she be stoned to death. And he decides, because he's a just man, he's going to be discreet. He's going to put her away quietly, divorce her quietly. Now, one of the most understated statements in all of Scripture is Matthew one twenty. It says, but as he considered these things, considered, as he can considered these things, I consider what I'm going to have for lunch today. As he considered these things, like this was agonizing for him. Clearly she was the one he wanted. She's the one that he chose. He's the one that he had, he had worked to, to step into this betrothal relationship with her. He was months into this betrothal period. He had found a wife. If you found a wife, you know, even in our culture, what a big deal that is. And listen, if the Holy Spirit chose her, Joseph had done pretty good. She was blessed and highly favored. And she was his betrothed. Probably looked a lot like my my wife, Jen. She just checks all the boxes. But as he considered (laughs) these things, he's trying to get some sleep. And his mind is racing. He's wrestling. He begins to dream, and an angel shows up to him in a dream and tells him this in Matthew 1. Starting in verse 20. Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which was conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Right? And this must have been some dream, because it was, it was a convincing enough dream that he does what the angel says. Now, he, he's familiar with the prophecies about the virgin conceiving and, and bearing a son. But this is still, this is pretty spectacular. I wonder how, how many misuse this prophecy. Um, I know this is crazy. You might think I'm a little weird, but I'm the virgin that the prophecies foretold of. And uh, I'm, we're pregnant. 
How how many ladies misuse this prophecy along the years? So Joseph is still in a dream he hears from an angel, right? Life's pretty tense right now. But things are about to get real good for Joseph, right? They They have to. Angels are showing up in my dreams. My wife is a prophecy fulfilling rock star. Right, things have got to get pretty good. Pretty good. Right, then at the worst possible time for a young pregnant family, the oppressive foreign government issues a census. Right, talk about adding insult to injury. The census for them required that they travel to their ancestral home. For them, it was a long journey from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem. And Mary's about to give birth at any time. This doesn't sound like peace. Does it sound like peace to you? This isn't peace for Joseph. This isn't peace for the country. But things are going to get better, right? They're going to get better. No, no. Bethlehem is either because of the census or because people are talking about how Mary came to be pregnant. Either way, guess what? Nobody has a place for them to stay. So here they are. She's pregnant. She's about to give birth. And nobody has a place to stay. It for sure isn't like the inns or the hotels that we know of. It's probably a spare room or an upper room for guests, but even more probable is that these are his relatives. This is his ancestral home. He's going back there because he more than likely had ownership in some land there. That's why he had to, to travel back there for the census because he needs to pay more taxes. How does not one person, I don't care if it's your second cousin thrice removed, how does not one person give up their room for a pregnant girl about, about to have a baby. Not one person is like, hey, you know what? Take my bed. I'll, I'll camp out. I'm fine. Not one person, not a stranger, not a relative, says, here, you can have my bed. This culture is supposed to be one who cares for strangers, right? They're supposed to be care for sojourners who are traveling, and here they're turning away their relatives, Right? This was such an honor-same culture. It's, it's very possible that they would have seen someone in this, this condition, this immoral, pregnant in the betrothal period, and they're putting, put, even putting Joseph and Mary out in the stable with the animals was seen as a pretty compassionate move, that they would even do that. Right? They're saying to themselves, can you believe it? She's pregnant during the betrothal period. It's such, so scandalous. So they offer the stable. It's the barn with the animals. Jesus would be born and laid in a feeding trough. Right? At least he's six inches above the animal feces. At least he's six inches above the dung. Right? We've made these beautiful and peaceful nativities, and we bring them out every Christmas. Anybody have one? I do. Bring out every Christmas. And we hope and pray that this year the toddler is not going to destroy another one. We got the super glue out. We got it. We're piecing them back together. Joseph is taking it the roughest, really. Probably because he's the tallest. I don't know, but we got most of it glued back together, right? But we make these these nativities peaceful and serene and beautiful. It's all just such a beautiful moment. Let's put a star star shining on it. This was a mess. This wasn't this wasn't beautiful. This was an absolute mess. How can this be Jesus? He's supposed to save people from the sins. We can't even get a room. Imagine, Joseph. We can't even get a room among our relatives. He's going to be born, and we can't get a room. Jesus was born into chaos. 
He was born into filth. He was born into poverty. He was born into, with a, pregnant, a woman who was pregnant outside of wedlock. They're social outcasts. To, he was born to a nation that's under this oppressive rule by a foreign government. This is not peace. This is not how a king, the promised Messiah, the gift that is Jesus, should be presented to the world that's in need of a savior. Then these out-of-breath men burst in the stable, right? It's a group of them, and they're all talking over each other. And I, I just can, I can imagine Joseph, right? Like, uh, what, do we got to leave the stable now too? Like, what, like, what's going on here? Like, he doesn't, he doesn't know what's, what's happening, and these men are out of breath. They're like, there he is, there he is. They said they'd be uh, swaddling claws, like, laying in a manger, feeding trough. There, there he is. This has got to be him. Right, and they're talking over each other. This is it. It's just like they said. And Joseph's like, excuse me, uh, what's happening? What in the world are you talking about? Who told you we're here? Like, she just had the baby. Is, is it okay if we, we stay here? Like, she just had the baby. And they, be, they begin to recount the story of what they experienced just a short time earlier. These are the shepherds, right? The angel appeared to them in the field while they're watching on the night shift. There were shepherds watching their flocks, and the angel told us of the Christ child that was going to be born this day in the city of David. And that's here. This is Bethlehem. The angel said there would be signs. There would be, be swaddling clothes. There would be laying in a manger, and we, we just had to come see. And then one's like, dude, tell them. Tell them. Tell them about the multitude. Tell them about the best part, the best part. Right? And then after the, the angel was done, then the whole sky filled with thousands of angels. And they begin to sing glory to God in the highest. Begin praising God. Luke 2, 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Do you know the peace this must have brought Joseph? See, he knows about angels. Joseph had had a dream. Right? His, his was a dream. And these guys had got angels showing up to him on a field. These guys busting in in the middle of the night, they must have brought Joseph so much peace. Joseph, don't fear. Right? He remembers what the angel said. Don't fear. This is the plan. I am with you. What you experienced in that dream is for real. This is a real deal, Joseph. This is, this is happening. I'm picturing Joseph now with this renewed peace and this renewed confidence declaring his name to be Jesus. See, I don't know what he was thinking before the shepherds burst in and gave him that kind of confirmation. Was he like, I don't know, I got Thaddeus on my mom's side. I got Bartholomew, I don't know. I had a dream. I want to, like Jesus, the Savior, Savior for, of, of our sins. Like, do I name him Jesus? And then at this moment, with that, that confidence, with that peace, that Jesus is going to save the people from their sins, he declares his name be Jesus. Joseph would see more confirmation. Right, the chaos isn't done for him. Just in, in a few short years, there's, there's going to be an angel again in a dream. And this time, without hesitation, without question, he knows, he has confidence and peace that this is the Lord. And the, the angel will tell him, you've got to take your family. You've got to flee. You have to go to Egypt. You've got to go to another nation and they would present, the wise men would come and they would present him with, with presents and gifts. So he's getting all this confirmation that this indeed is Jesus. And he's able to trust that angel. He shows up to him in the dream. And they flee because Herod wants to kill 
the Christ child. And he's just like, well, let's kill them all. We're sure not to miss him. See, it's not what Joseph expected. I'm sure it's not how he thought things would turn out. But in the midst of chaos, he has peace. God is there in the mess. Jesus is the gift we need, the peace we need, but he's not always in the way we want or the way that we expect. We want peace in our circumstances, in our situations, right? But the gift of Jesus promises peace in the midst of our circumstances. Right in the middle of the mess, that's where he offers peace. It's peace in the middle of the chaos. Jesus was born into chaos. He was born into confusion. You might be familiar with uh, the Grinch that stole Christmas. Anybody? Anybody watch it this year? Right, he comes and he takes all the gifts, he takes all the decorations from the Who's in Whoville. Then on Christmas morning, he's there on the mountainside, right? He's listening for the crying and the screams and the boo-hooing, right? And they're waking up on Christmas morning and everything's gone. And instead of, of, of crying, he hears singing. Christmas came anyway. He didn't stop, he didn't stop from coming. He didn't stop Christmas after all. It came without ribbons. Well, it came without tags. It, it came without packages, boxes, or bags. How am I doing? Is that good? And he puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. Right? And then we see his heart. It grows. Something happened. His heart grows three sizes. His capacity to understand Christmas and the spirit of the season grows and his perspective changes. His eyes are open for the first time to see Christmas for what it really is. So that's my, my desire for us this morning. My desire for us today is that your perspective will change. You'll begin to see, see that peace can come to any circumstance. It can come to any situation. It can come right in the middle of your mess. Right in the middle of your mess, you can have peace. The Bible calls it peace that passes, it surpasses all understanding. Philippians 4, 7 says this, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, peace can come, it can come to you. Peace can come to you when it never comes to your situation. Your situation, your circumstance may never feel or seem peaceful. But you can have peace in the middle of it. That's his promise. Listen now to Jesus' own words. Luke 12, 51. It says, do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I, t I tell you, but rather division. Another version says sword. And Jesus is saying here that there would be division among those who, who put their faith in Jesus and those who do not. Right? Many think that Christ came to, get, to give peace on earth, but that won't truly happen until his second coming when he fully conquers all of his enemies. But even, even when there's not peace on earth, there can be peace in you. Listen to him in John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you'll have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Now the version says, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. You can have peace in your heart and life when there is chaos in your situation and circumstance. You can have peace in your heart and your life when there's chaos, when there's a mess in your circumstance and your situation. 
So why is there no peace on earth? I want, to, I want to give us four reasons this morning. And there's undoubtedly more. Why is there no peace on earth? Number one, there's circumstances that are beyond your control, right? It's like death and taxes, right? There are things you just can't avoid. Some of us try. Not, I wouldn't, you? Oh, okay. Uh, they're inevitable, right? In this world, you will have trouble. Stuff happens. And it can rob you of your peace. It's that flat tire at the absolute worst time. Anybody this morning? No? Okay. Welcome. It's that person who cuts you off when you've been having such a great day. It's so good. It's like rain on your wedding day. It's... Ah, it's a free ride when you've, when you've already paid. You know, it's, it's good advice that you just didn't take. And who would have thought? It figures. It's ironic, right? There's, there's circumstances beyond your control. Number two, it's people. Oh, we just had Christmas. <laughs> we just had, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, holiday season, and you've been surrounded by people. Right? Why is there no peace on earth? It's the boss. It's the in-laws. It's the coworker. It's your neighbor. Unless they're here, then it's not the neighbor. Right? Listen, we, we just went through the holiday season, and I'm saying there's, there's people that can rob you of your peace if you let them. Right? Number three, the unexplainable. Right? It's the tornado that hits in December. It's the, the cancer that comes to the young and the healthy. It's the why. It's the why, why me. It's the why now. I had this, uh, this friend, his name was Luke. He was a junior high pastor at age 50. He was just shy of five feet tall. And he loved the Lord, he loved his wife, and he loved junior highs. Right? And he goes to the doctor one day and they, they, they tell him that there's these two big tumors in his belly. And they remove them, but it's cancer and it's, it's throughout. And um, they start the treatment and he, and he, he didn't make it long. And there was that question, why? Why me? Why now? You know, I watched this guy. He battled this cancer with this joy and this peace in the middle of that chaos, in the middle of that mess. And he called cancer his belly bully. And he had this, this long uh, goatee that he called a chullet. It was a chin mullet, right? <laughs> and he was just, I mean, he was walking joy if you knew Luke. I mean, he'd go to beard competitions and, and win. Like this was, it was, it defined who he, who he was. And he would lose that chullet due to the, the chemo. And he battled that question, why? And um, he told me one time, and I actually looked it up because he blogged his whole journey. And I'm like, I bet I can find it. So this morning I found it and I want to I read it to you. Just an excerpt from that, that blog. He said, at the beginning of the fight, there were so many questions there's always this big question that comes up. The natural tendency is to ask, why me? Why is this happening to me? But that question is quicksand. It leaves you sinking in a thousand other questions. And you can't fight from a sinking position. You've got to stand. The question that I needed to ask was, what now? What do I do now? I asked and I got an answer. I heard the, the sweet, scruffy voice of my trainer fight out loud with joy, boy, 
Holy Spirit frequently calls me boy, and I don't mind. I, I clear my mind, and I focus on round three, and, and I know on the weekdays and the weekdays, when I find myself on the ropes, I remember that my strength does not come from self or circumstance. It comes from God. His joy makes me strong. I hit my knees and I draw the line and I refuse to allow anything that didn't give me joy to steal my joy. Strength suckers, you've been served. You wrestle with that why for eternity and it'll swallow you whole, just like quicksand. Truth is, some things just don't make sense. The unexplainable. Why can't we have peace? There's things that we just aren't going to know. They just don't make sense. Even Jesus in the garden and then on, later on the cross. See in Matthew 26, starting verse 37, says this. In taking Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Jesus, the king. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Why? Why has it got to be this? Why does it got to be the cross? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Why does it have to be this way? Is there some other way? Matthew 27, he says this on the cross. My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? Jesus asked why. And yet he was able to have peace. He says in the garden, not my will. Right? On the cross, he's forgiving the very people that are inflicting the pain. You will face the unexplainable. Don't get caught in the quicksand. Number four is this, worry and anxiety. Worry doesn't solve tomorrow's problems. It only robs you of today's peace. Worry doesn't solve tomorrow's problem. It only robs you of today's peace. We can carry worry and anxiety and try to have peace, but it really, it's, it's opposed. It's diametrically opposed to our peace. This is, this is what Paul writes to the Philippians. Chapter four, verse six. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let these requests be made known to God. See, we want peace on earth, right? Isn't that the beauty pageant answer. I know in all my pageanting, I've, you know, when, when faced with those, those questions, you know, what, what, do you, what, do you, what do you want most? Or world peace, right? But, the, but doesn't the Bible say, the Bible says peace on earth. I know it. I, I've read it. The Bible, somewhere it says peace on earth. But it doesn't. It doesn't. This actually comes from Luke chapter 2, and it's part of the Christmas story. And there is the angels. Remember, they come to the shepherds, and, and starting verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. All right, we have signs that say peace on earth. All right, we decorate with peace on earth, and that's not what the verse says. The most literal translation says, and on earth peace among, another version says, whom his favor rests or whom the Lord is pleased. See, peace is for you. It's for you. 
in the midst of your mess, the peace is for you. But we, we want the tidy, cleaned up version. We want peace on earth. That's not what he offers and that's not what he promises. He doesn't, he doesn't promise situational peace. It's peace on whom his favor rests. So who does he give peace to? Right? How do I get this peace? Listen to Jesus. John 14, he says this, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, with whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He has sent us his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us, to teach us, to guide us, to comfort us, to bring us peace. He gives us peace. He gives us peace. So how does one get this peace? Four things real quick. Number one, now this one, you, you might not know kind of our process here, which is kind of cool. Um, really enjoy it. Jeff and, and Joe and myself, we will we'll kind of gather during the week and we'll, we'll talk over our, our messages and our notes. And, and it really helps like if you get stuck on a point or, you know, something you can't communicate clearly. And we'll even get up here and do a run through and, and just critique each other. And it's really, it's, it's intentional so that we can get, get the, the word to you in the most effective way. And so I'm stuck on this. Every, every point is going to be rest, right? Peace, rest. Every point's going to be rest. Number one is going to be rest. And it's this, rest in the finished work of Jesus. And I couldn't come up with a rest here. I had it like, number one, how do we get peace? We got to receive Jesus. We got to accept him as our savior. Like, Joe, it doesn't have rest in it. And within two seconds, the jerk, like just, just came up with it. Rest in the finished work of Jesus. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The first step is resting in the finished work of Christ, that he brings peace because his spirit comes to dwell within us. Peace I give to you. Jesus gives and offers of peace through the finished work of the cross. Number two, Rest in his plan. Number one, rest in the finished work of Jesus. Number two, rest in his plan. There's peace that comes when you're able to, to hear his voice and trust his plan for your life. Sometimes when it doesn't make sense, right? Be like Joseph. Because you begin to learn and trust his voice and you build that confidence just like Joseph did. And you follow his leading and you don't have to understand all the details. When the Lord speaks, you, you begin to say, okay, God, where do you want me to go? I hear you speaking. Rest in his plan. We read Philippians 4, 6, and, and the following verse 7 speaks to what happens when we let go of worry and anxiety and trust God. Rest in his plan. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One of my absolute favorite Proverbs is this. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. He will make your path straight. Number three, rest in his ways. Rest in the finished work of Jesus. Rest in his plan. Rest in his ways. 
His ways are that spiritual principle that works on, on God's economy, right? It, it's that upside down kingdom. It doesn't make sense, but it's what he does. Talked about this a, a couple weeks ago. The word says to get even, or the world, the world says to get even. But the spiritual principle that leads to peace is forgiveness. The world says that you should stress and that you should worry and that you should fret. But he says to cast your cares and your anxieties and be anxious for nothing. Right? The world says if you want to be great, right, you got you to get out in front, you got to hustle, you got you to look to your own interests. But if you want to be great in God's kingdom, you have to first learn how to serve. Rest in his ways. He's got principles that if you live those out, you can rest in his ways. Rest in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Rest in his plan. Rest in his ways. Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. And finally, number four, rest in his presence. Find yourself worshiping often. Find yourself in the word often. Remind yourself of how great and mighty he is Right, and he uses this great power how he wields it to love you. It's his presence that transforms and changes a life. It's his presence that's going to transform and change you. So fix your gaze on him. Fix your eyes on him. Isaiah 26.3 says this, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. Learn to trust him by fixing your eyes on him. I want to I close out with this out of the Old Testament. This is the, the king of Syria is warring against Israel and Elisha, who was a man of God, a prophet. He kept interfering and he kept sending word to Israel about where the Syrians were. And this saved Israel several times. And this Syrian king was just getting kind of ticked off at him. So he decides to go after Elisha. And let's pick it up in 2 Kings, verse 6. Amid, and, and, uh, and the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said with, to them, Will you not show me of, of us, who of us is, is for the king of Israel? And one of the servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, that prophet who is in Israel, he tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. And it was told him. So behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man, Elisha, rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army of horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? I just picture him, right? He's just, it's in the morning. He's just going out, not worried about it. Just sipping his cup of joe. And the servant is going nuts. What are we going to do? Then Elisha prayed and said, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened his eyes and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So what Elisha didn't see was what was happening in the spirit. And in the spirit, angels army is surrounding the army that is surrounding them. And Elisha is asking, God, will you open that servant's eyes? So he sees that the, the, the army that's surrounding us isn't as great as the army that's surrounding them. We can have peace in the middle of this mess, in the middle of this circumstance. And I'm telling you, how do you have peace in the middle of your mess, in the middle of your circumstance? Rest in the finished work of Jesus. Rest in his plan. 
rest in his ways, rest in his presence, and know that greater is he that is in you than he's in, 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 you know, than he that is in the world. Greater is he that is in you. And that peace can come to you right in the middle of your mess, right in the middle of your situation. Would you pray with me? God, we invite your presence in our lives, in our mess, in our situations. God, there, there are, are, are real circumstances, real situations where we find ourselves in a mess. And we invite you in. Lord, you said that you give us peace. God, we welcome it. God, we thank you that your presence transforms and changes a life and it can change ours. God, would you open our eyes like you opened Joseph's? Would you open our eyes like you opened the Grinch's eyes? Would you open our eyes like you opened the servant of Elisha? Open our eyes so that we can see that you're greater than anything that we're walking through. And while, while peace might not come to our circumstance or situation, peace can come to us in the midst of it. Thanks for joining with us today. We would love to pray for you and make a connection with you. So please check out the Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Here you can ask questions, request prayer, find past messages and podcasts, or support Renaissance through online giving. We can't wait to hear from you. 